0: Hello, it's broadcast time with me, Lee Durrant, and uh, with today's special guest is Adam Weeks, who's uh, been in the Salesforce ecosystem for 12 years, I think. So we have a good old chat with Adam about his career and, and how he got into it and, and uh, differences for him in working at, as a contractor and permanent and loads of little tips for you guys looking to get into the Salesforce ecosystem for those of you that are in it and just want to listen to someone who's risen to the ranks of a director uh, at a Salesforce customer. Now, you'd be pleased to know I'm a little bit of a cold, so I won't be talking quite so much in this one, Uh, and apologies if I'm slightly more nasal than usual, but hopefully it won't spoil your enjoyment of Adam Weeks. Thanks, mate. So, hi, Adam, Adam Weeks. Welcome to the podcast, mate. How are you doing?
1: Uh, Thank you.
0: Um, I'm well, thank you. Good, good, good. Um, yeah, thanks for joining us. I know you're really busy, uh, as you have been for many, many years. So I think you've heard of these before. I, think I I asked you to have a little listen, whether you did or not. I don't know, but uh, just to let you know, this is really about um, yeah, us talking about your career in salesforce, how you got into it, um, and what's happened to you since. And, and sort of little, perhaps any little tips or, or thoughts along the way that people listening could could um, could use. Really, so um, usually the first question is actually what, what are you doing right now and then we'll then we'll go back to the beginning that's all right
1: yeah i suppose i mean right now i'm stood in my home office where i spend an awful lot of time um chatting with you about Salesforce, and um <laughs> that, that's actually uh probably the highlight of my day because i'm i'm quite, a, quite an evangelist about the Salesforce ecosystem um and if anybody's ever met me at some of the events they'll know i can talk the hind legs of a donkey when talking about Salesforce and the associated uh, exciting pieces about that, but that wasn't really uh, the gist of your question, I'm sure. So, <laughs> what am I doing right now? Um, I'm helping organisations to implement Salesforce, uh, which is quite a broad um, topic, of course. So, more specifically, um, when you see particularly smaller, you look at the SMB side of the of, of the market there you see this um, propensity to think, you know, you, you've got a choice between Salesforce, which sounds expensive uh, and looks maybe complex. And then you, you, you've got, um, I won't mention any, but there are plenty of other CRM solutions that you can look at, that all, all of which have uh, a variety of strengths and weaknesses. Some of them are really good in certain areas. And, you know, some in particular uh, around the implementation are really simple. You know, you pull out your credit card, 10 minutes later, you're working. Mm-hmm. Um, but that there are there are limitations to that, and so when you look at the difference between Salesforce as a CRM solution or as a as a as a platform, really, and some of those other um, more entry level solutions, as I would view them, the big difference is that platform piece. You're buying into a whole ecosystem there. Um, but what that does mean is is you can't just switch it on and say, "Great, now we've got a CRM." And you know, when you look at the Salesforce website, they'll tell you some fantastic metrics about you'll see a you know, oh, I don't know, 41% uplift in sales and your efficiency will go up, your costs will go down and everything. All of those things are potentially true, but they aren't necessarily true, to be fair, of any CRM out of the box. So you can install any CRM and anything, fantastic. We're, we're Now we're going to be super efficient, we've got a CRM. The, the reality mm-hmm. of it is you're not. Um what you're probably going to see is actually a, a drop in efficiency because you've got new processes to learn, new systems, new ways of working, et cetera. So what I try and do is, is, is work with my customers to think about their processes. What are they trying to achieve, which is obviously is usually you know, selling services or goods uh, in, an, in an efficient way and, and getting visibility and then operating their business with, with as much uh, insight uh, as they can. And, and really that's where... Salesforce really comes into its own, but it's all about the um, reworking your business to be efficient and then using Salesforce as a tool um, to support that piece, as opposed to just thinking, you know, it's not a shrink wrap product. It's not like Microsoft Word. You can't just install it and start typing something and and then there you go, there's your novel. You know, you you have to really think about what is it we're trying to achieve? How do we go about doing it? Um, And that's really where Salesforce is, uh, what I would view as a, a couple of steps above some of the simpler um, lower priced options which absolutely have a place um, in, in many businesses but when you get a bit uh, you know when you're thinking more forward maybe and you're thinking about how can we progress our business how can we take our business to the next stage we want to get super efficient we want to get better visibility of our pipeline and our operations we want to increase uh, the volumes of inbound leads uh, we want to increase coverage and conversion etc that's where salesforce can help but only if you um, have an understanding of why you want to do these things and then how to go about doing them, uh, at a business level first and then at that technical level. And that's, that's what I'm doing now.
0: And, and obviously that's not how you started out. So if we go back to, and I can't remember, I'm trying to thumb through your LinkedIn as we talk, when, when did it all start for you then? And what initially, what was you doing prior to getting into Salesforce? Cause, um, Correct me if I'm wrong. A lot of people say this in this podcast that they didn't necessarily people that've been doing it for a long time didn't necessarily get into Salesforce deliberately. Was it was it something you fell into by accident? Uh, It
1: it was more of a something that helped me out at the time. So um, my first intro to Salesforce was around 2007, I think. That sort of time. Mm. Um, Prior to that, you know, straight out of college and everything else, I'd been doing. um, I started off as a as a developer uh, and then got into business analysis from there uh, I ended up uh, working for uh, a company I worked for the UK division of, of, a, of a multinational um, who produced um, uh, fuel pumps and engaging equipment mm. and i was uh, I was looking after some of the operations, so they had a whole bunch of field staff that would be out and about and we used a whole bunch of different systems to to try and make the 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 field service engineers et etc as, as efficient as possible um, as you know as, as things do um, situations change and I was asked to uh to move into uh, a sales and marketing operations role, which was something that at the time was relatively new to me. I mean, I was very fortunate that I had people around me that, that were incredibly helpful in helping me to understand the, the, the essences of what sales and marketing are and, and how they work together and all this sort of good stuff. So whilst that aspect was new to me, they wanted somebody that had a, a transactional uh, view of the world and could help them get um, some of their systems working a bit better and some of their processes. So that's what I started to do. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it became quite clear quite quickly. We needed some sort of mechanism which meant we needed a CRM. So you don't go straight in from, you know, uh, emailing excel sheets around. Certainly in 2007 and 2008 you didn't suddenly jump into using Salesforce. So what we did is we uh, we invested in a in a system called Act which I'm not actually 100% sure if this is still a still a thing or not. It became Sage and part, of, you know, but it was very much uh uh, a client-based application. There was, I think, at the time, there was a, a bit of a, a competition game between Act and Goldmine, and I think for whatever reason we chose Act. You installed it on in, on the sales guys' individual laptops. There was no mobile other than the laptops, so they all had little uh, mobile data cards in their laptops. <laughs> uh, and at the end of every evening, they would sit there. Hopefully, at the end of every evening, uh, we would sit there <laughs> in the hotel or whatever and uh, update the CRM and then hit the sync button. That would come back to the little server we had underneath a desk somewhere, uh, and then provide us with the information. And it, it was my my role really to to make that process work efficiently. And that's that's where it became more and more evident that you know the, the technical side of the thing was important, but that was more of like a hygiene factor. It, it just needed to be there and to work, and it needed to be yeah. easy for the sales guys to use. I got a lot of input, uh, <laughs> mostly constructive, from from the sales teams about of use and about other considerations I had with, with the systems it's a fairly small team so we all knew each other well so you know there was there was no holding back on the feedback so I had to learn quite quickly uh, about how the sales teams themselves like to work um, yeah. and, and we got that working quite well actually um, so as the business progressed uh, and, I, and I got more proficient at doing these things they asked me to move into the European division uh, and, and basically do the same there The challenge there is that ACT simply wouldn't scale that big because it was quite a large operation now. So we're talking about, I think it was seven or eight European countries, something along those lines, and just as many languages and currencies and everything else you have to deal with. Um, So thinking about how we can do this, I I decided to sort of fall back on my old sort of techie hat, as it were, uh, and designed a system that used... Excel files that were uh, mapped back into a SharePoint site, so they were sort of all interlinked with each other. And anybody who's ever done that will know that's great in practice. Well, in theory, in in practice, it breaks constantly because people modify the files, and so they're not in the exact right place for things to work properly anymore. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I ended up spending two or three days every single week just trying to get the the forecast pulled together. Uh, and then you'd sit in the weekly reviews with the with the leadership team. Uh, you present this this file to them this summary and, and the individual Uh, you know uh, leaders from from the countries would, would look around and say oh no, sorry that's out of date now
0: <laughs> yeah. And so the, you know
1: the whole process was was really pointless and so Uh, that's the point where I really started to push and say you know, what we really need here is some form of you know, hosted application that will help us all work collaboratively all at yeah. the same time yeah. And, and this really is the essence of what CRMs, uh, a proper CRM is like, whether it be Salesforce or Dynamics or whatever else you choose. The reality of it is if you don't have that insight, you, you can't drive your business. And so the sales teams were never really able to have that proper deep discussions with the leadership team about what their funnels really were because they never, never had visibility of it themselves. Yeah. So that's when the decision was finally made to, to invest in Salesforce. And at the time, I, I didn't really know much about what salesforce was or any of the other crms particularly in any real detail i had no preference salesforce seems nice so that's what we went with <laughs> yeah not, uh, and, necessarily and the, the rest cheap. of is history
0: not necessarily the cheapest option or can you not remember that far back um
1: well i think at that stage i probably wouldn't have been overly involved in that i mean i, I would have had a uh, you know some form of input but certainly i wouldn't have been a decision maker back in them days around um that kind of decision. So, I mean, I look back on it now and think, uh, yeah, it was a, it was a, a well-run company. And, and I think they, uh, the, the leadership team at the time recognized that, yes, there is a, there is an investment required. The investment is beyond what some of the other options were even back then. Um, the difference is they could see the value, I think. And, and, and we had a, a good implementation partner as well that came in and helped and Salesforce themselves came in and helped. And I think it was, it wasn't too hard to to create a meaningful business case and say genuinely if we do this yes it will cost more up front but the returns will be higher yeah. um and, and luckily they were so i mean the, the transformation was huge and that that maybe was one of those pivotal moments for me um as somebody that, that experienced firsthand the challenges of not having a decent crm and working with other members of the team who were frustrated that they didn't get this information they couldn't get this data accurately and on time um, suddenly switching to this environment where everything was real time where you could literally be on a forecasting call and on, on the you know the weekly calls you can have the screen up you can sit there and you can say this this is showing as it should have completed last week but it hasn't what's going on and, yeah. you know at first it took a little while for the for the sounds leaders to adjust you know the the old for want of a better term excuses came out about, oh well that's not quite up to date uh, and I think we were very lucky in that we had a leadership team locally that really understood what the CRM could do and, and how it worked. And they would literally say, well, update it now then. Uh, you know, and they would sit there refreshing <laughs> the screen. Everyone could see, you know, is yeah. it updated yet? Have you done it yet? Uh, and then obviously you, you get past the old excuses and, and everything else and you start getting down to the, to the crux of the matter and, and you have more honest conversations. And obviously I'm not suggesting that salespeople are inherently dishonest of course, <laughs> <straight>. but, <laughs> of course but you know, it sounds interesting uh,
0: in the in the you know driving the user adoption and and then and then not having that excuse anymore something they probably leaned on for years um obviously must have been difficult for, for some of them but clearly for the business was was, uh, was was a good way forward obviously
1: yeah i think it was i mean I, I recognized it as a huge transformation because i experienced it and i worked with people that experienced it Uh, I I mean, uh, speaking to some of the sales leaders at the time, I I think they had mixed feelings about it. Um, Once they started to realise the the value more, so as much as they were being put under pressure to keep their information up to date, I think it became evident quite quickly that it wasn't their personal task to do that. So they started to realise, actually, they can do their own forecasting calls in the exact same way with their local teams. And so they can get get, get the report up, get the dashboard up, whatever, and look at it and say you know, X, Y, Z salesperson, I can see that this, this is now overdue. Can you, can you update it?
0: Yeah. Brilliant.
1: So th- they knew they would get it in the neck, uh, you know, the next day or next week or whatever, if it wasn't.
0: Was that, was that, would you say, going back that, you know, to that first sort of project then was that the biggest challenge is to get the salespeople if, if it's a sales CRM that you're using and obviously that's what sales was back then, um, getting them to buy into it. Is that the biggest challenge?
1: Uh, yeah I think it, it probably was then, and to be fair, it probably still is now i think um the the technicalities uh, uh when you think back you know twelve odd years whatever um the technicalities were a little bit easier because there was just so much less of the system you know it was mm. a it was a, a, a simple um, sales management system back then wasn't it really mm. um s r m whatever we were calling it and you know it, it was pretty basic in what it did. It did it well, but it was pretty basic. You look at it now and you think it's unrecognised, literally unrecognizable now, you know, the old funny dark red color thing, and then it went blue and now it's completely different again. Mm-hmm. And it's not just the fact that it looks physically different. You know, the, the, the breadth of the ecosystem as as the platform now is, is absolutely vast. Um, but generally speaking, the technicalities, aren't really the challenge that you get when doing the, the implementations. I mean, yes, you have you know, data migrations to deal with, which is always fun and games, uh, and you have integrations with other applications and processes, et cetera. Generally speaking, though, someone's done it already, and the, the I suppose that the community around Salesforce is unlike any other application I've ever worked with, including some very high-end enterprise and some low-end um, uh, smb based systems etc yeah. th- there's nothing like the, the the Salesforce community to help each other out um w- extremely willingly so whenever you get stuck on, on something you've only got to ask and lots of people will really go out of their way to help you find a solution um which is which is obviously fantastic but then if the technical side of things is easy um why do so many crm implicate implementations fail um not necessarily Salesforce ones, of course, obviously. Yeah. Um, but uh, it, it's, it's the soft part of things. Is, is it's the process change that, that people don't necessarily fully understand. It's, it's the getting behind it. It's the, the change of behavior um, from all functions, where not necessarily just sales or marketing or, or operations or whatever. The whole business needs to get their head around a slightly new way of working, what I think is a much better way of working, a much more enlightened, uh, informed way of working, but it is about making sure people understand, you know, there's no more updating, um, just putting things into Outlook, or you can't keep local, local spreadsheets. I mean, it was a bad practice anyway, but now with GDPR, it's <coughs> a yeah. risky practice. You can't keep local copies of data like you used to. You can't allow the salespeople or anybody else just to extract an Excel list and start emailing it around. It just creates an absolute nightmare from a, from a compliance perspective. And that's where, you know, the the CRM helps out hugely. In fact, it's probably one of the only ways you can make that viable in in any decent-sized business. Um, But, yeah, getting people on board, helping them to understand um, the, the value to them as individuals, the value to the business, helping them to understand that this is how things work now. And you think back a few years, that was a big challenge for everybody. I think when I look at the more recent implementations, there are more people who... Uh, understand the value and benefit of it now. And there are more people who just expect to work that way as the new generation of of, of salespeople have come up through the ranks. Hmm. They've always used the CRM, whereas previously it was, you know, okay. I, mean, I can remember back when it was Rolodex is in the boot of a Cavalier. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you don't get that so much these days. Yeah, um, no. And I think that really helps because people's expectations are different now. And so when you come to them and say, we're going to put you on this, fantastic crm you know the first question that sometimes you hear is well i hope it's Salesforce." you know and and you you don't get quite as much pushback as you used to but it's still important to um to have a, a process around that and to help people through that change you know you think about change curves and everything else they're every bit as relevant now as they used to be it's just a bit
0: easier from uh, people's experiences so so obviously that was your first experience of it and and you know like you say at the time you you weren't you, know, you weren't fussed whether it was Salesforce or something else. So at what point did you have that, that feeling that this, uh, this system, this ecosystem is going to be my career moving forward? Did, did that happen sort of around at the same time, or did it take a few years and a few different roles for you to then decide, no, this, I am a Salesforce person? Do you know what I mean? I'm, I'm, to be honest, I'm still waiting for that moment. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> all these years later, I'm still waiting. Well, certifications, all, everything you've done, then you're still not, not convinced.
1: Yeah, well, I'm, I'm convinced. I just, I, I, there was never a, a conscious decision to say, um, this is my career now, this is what I want to do. Um, and I, it, it's just something I always seem to come back to, even when I've departed very slightly. Um, and I, I, I distinctly remember getting an email saying, I needed to do a, a maintenance exam to keep my certifications. Uh, and at the time I had three or four or something like that. And I thought to myself, I'm deliberately just going to let them lapse. I don't want to be doing the same sort of hands-on work anymore because at the time I was in a, in a more management position and I was really enjoying working with the team uh, and helping them to um, get the results. And I thought I'm going to deliberately let them lapse because that will help me progress more in the management side than it will in the technical side. And I think within, I don't know, mate, it was just within a few weeks, I had that little niggle thinking, was that the right thing to have done? Mm. Um, And it wasn't long before I went back through and redid every single one that I'd let lapse and, uh, you know, a whole bunch more besides. Now I think I've got something like 11 or something as of right now. Um, And and I I sort of think to myself, even if I wasn't doing this, I would probably keep those current and and maybe continue to expand them just because it's something that really interests and excites me, Um, partly from a, like, this is a, wow, look what they're achieving Uh, from a systems perspective point of view it's really impressive when you take a step back and when you can appreciate what goes into it when you've stood inside a data center you know with your fingers in your ear looking at the raw and feeling all that and you're thinking this is really impressive stuff Um, you know when you load a couple of million records in 20 minutes and you think you couldn't do that a few years ago on SQL Server you know and (laughs) it's just so impressive and then you stand back and look at it and think this is amazing and uh but when you look at the, the transformational effects it has on businesses, particularly maybe on the smaller end where they've got, um, you know, less resources to spend, but they can spend wisely. They can invest smart in a, in a tool like Salesforce and they just get these phenomenal results, which makes it, you know, an absolute transformation for businesses. It's not like when you go from desktop based words to office 365, there's an obvious improvement in many different areas it's you know a hundred times more significant than that, and I, and I think that's why I keep coming back to this because I'm really, um, I guess I'm really more focused on the business transformation side, and I've personally not seen any tool that can make a bigger transformation uh, than than Salesforce has. You know, you can go and implement great big systems like SAP and Siebel. Um, but, you know, the, the amount of money required to do that, the level of effort required to do that, and then the impact of that, you know, it's it's more money, it's more effort, and the impact is less than if you just set about implementing something sensibly in Salesforce.
0: It's interesting um, what you said as well about – it's something I hear a lot over the years I've, I've been in this ecosystem or on the edge of it um, – people it's not the first time i've heard someone say oh i want to go sort of management route or 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 whatever and therefore i don't need certifications um and i'm I'm interested to see because obviously you've been through so many different um kind of positions in your career so far and you've got to the level of director and 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 higher than that in certain companies where obviously you're recruiting so i'm going to jump around a bit and ask you that certification question because i think it's relevant based on what you were saying a minute ago um having let them lapsed and then realizing you want to go and do them do you what's your advice to people that you know maybe are thinking the same thing oh i don't need i don't need those certifications because i'm a project manager or i want to be a you know transformation manager or 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 just or just a manager Mm -hmm. um do you think it's wise for them to to keep their hand in and get and keep those certs
1: oh that's that's an interesting question um I think there's probably a few different answers when you think about it from a few different perspectives. Yeah. And obviously, it's a personal decision. But I would say, yes, keep, keep the certifications. So even if you're in a position where you don't think you need or you're actively making a point of not, not wanting to use them, you know, yeah. if, if you're continually getting dragged back into technical discussions and you really don't want to be, and you might think, if I let my search lapse, which is part of the reason I, I let mine lapse, um, I, I can get away from that and I can progress differently yes, maybe that, that may or may not work for you. But I would suggest for, for most people, keeping those certs current is a good thing. Even if you just have, you know, administrator, it, at the very least, have something like certified administrator. When you think about um, authority with, within a, a, a chain of command, as it were, you can have, um, you know, there, there's things like legi- um, excuse me legitimate authority where you are, you know, you, you can draw an org chart and you're someone's boss. Yeah. And you can have... You know, technical authority and you know, all that sort of stuff, and it, and it's all about credibility within the community. So, if you're leading a team, particularly if it's like if it's like a matrix team, um, I think if you've got even just one or two basic certs in there, it immediately helps give the people around you a level of reassurance that you, at the very least, understand the basics of what the conversation is about. Um, so, I, I think they're worth keeping from from that perspective. Uh, i think as as well it 's worth um, it 's it's worth thinking about if you 're at the start of your career and you 're wondering you know is, is, uh, is it important to get certifications at the start of your career i don 't think you 've got any choice but to yeah. um, i 've been a hiring manager many a time and, and been very clear with with with, um, with applicants we want to have uh, a level of certification as a barest minimum. Um, for for an entry-level role, We, I would always say, I want you to prove that you can get um, certified administrator. I don't mind if you did it the week before. So I'm not worried about how much experience you've got because you'll get that on the job. I don't want you or necessarily need you to have, uh, you know, a list of certifications as long as your arm. If you want to, great, and we can help you get those normally. But I think certified administrator is one of those things that um, – I'm carefully wording this piece it's it's relatively easy um compared to some of the other ones i think if you are interested in uh, any part of salesforce as a as a long-term career you need to be prepared to invest in yourself um and so that's not necessarily a financial investment because i think it's only like a hundred dollars or something like that so it's not a big amount of money to ask somebody to spend on themselves you know 80 pounds whatever it works out to be yeah. it's more about um proving that you're prepared to use your own time to go away and use the, the almost limitless resources that are available freely to everybody um, to, to learn about Salesforce and to prove that you've learned the basics. Um, you know, if you're turning up um, saying I've got three years SoundSource experience, for example, once you've moved on a little bit, and I have had people do this and say you know, I've got three, four, five years of Salesforce experience, I've got all these, these things I can do, all these projects under my belt, but I've got no certifications. Um, yeah, it immediately makes me wonder why. Yeah, It's, it's quick, it's easy, um, and you know lots of organisations use them uh, for gating. So if you haven't got those certifications, your CV is not getting through to the next round anyway. So it wouldn't matter if you had 20 years' experience. If you haven't got that certification, and uh, particularly if you've got a, say, a talent acquisition team who are you know, generalists and they're looking at CVs and they're saying, well, you haven't got this certification I'm told you need, you know, your CV is not going through. Um, and given the level of effort required to get those is so small, um, you, you got to wonder why people wouldn't.
0: So, that's, a, that's a really good point. Sorry to interrupt you, because um, we, we, you know, we, we've had that over the years. Where we obviously, if you have, if you're a specialist, you, you're your niche recruiter, and you can you can see that someone's amazing, but they just haven't done the certs. Um, the advice is you're going to have to get them because obviously a recruiter that isn't specialised in that is going to be looking for just certain words. If they're not there, then that box isn't ticked and it's not going through. So uh, that can be quite frustrating for the candidate because they think, well, I can do that job. but I just haven't done that certification. So um, I think that's probably a good point. I I will um, press home with people. But also I think um, if you've been on the other side of that, then that's that's good advice.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think there's something else we should consider about the certs as well. It's not just um, a one-off. You do an exam and you get it. Great, you can, you know, you can prove you can answer some multiple choice questions. They they do get quite challenging actually when you get to some of the, the higher levels. By the time you're getting up to anything leading up to sort of you know architect type level, they're 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 really genuinely quite challenging. Yeah. Um, and some of the specialist badges are are, are quite um, quite involved as well. Uh, and so having those you know, it is a badge you can wear. Um, you know, you, you can you can display that with some pride and say, you know. I I may or may not be a good fit for your organization I may or may not have the experience required to do the role you want me to do but at the very least you know I know my stuff I can come in and learn your industry I can learn your business I can learn your culture so it's a great thing to be able to display that plus of course the the certification program itself is really really well thought out Um, it's quite different to a lot of the others I've seen uh, with, with other sort of large scale uh, ERP type platforms in particular. But the, the benefit here is that you can go onto Trailhead and, and I've probably mentioned this a hundred more times because anybody who's listening to this thinking how do I get into Salesforce, go to mm-hmm. Trailhead, just <clears> Google <throat> Trailhead, sign up for a free account and then just immerse yourself in all of the courses that, that uh, pique your interest. Absolutely just surround yourself. You can do hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of online courses all completely free um and they are genuinely very very good and it's a fantastic way to to upskill yourself without any you know physical real investment other than your time and your effort um but they also use trailhead for uh, maintenance exams for most of the exams now as well so Mm -hmm. every was it for every four months or so when a new version comes out or every was it two months or something for part and things like that you are asked to go and you know effectively recertify yourself to, just to to demonstrate that you're not just letting it lapse you know you can't I mean the last time I picked up my well the, the first certified administrator I got was in 2009 and you think when I look back at the um, the system as it was then and look at even just cloud as it is now they're a world apart uh, and so what I've had to do is is learn lots of new things as I've gone during that and because I've been involved in the industry for pretty much all of that time I was doing that anyway yeah. but keeping the um, keeping the exam current by doing the the uh, maintenance certifications demonstrates that. So it used to be that you had to pay for them. I don't think you have to pay for any of them now, if I remember rightly, or maybe one or two. Um, uh, for, for the maintenance thing, you used to pay once a year. But now, certainly for the most of them, it's, it's free. You just go onto to link it to your Web Assessor account, and then just do uh, a few modules each time there's a new one out. And, and the benefit to doing that is because, you know, the, the release notes are, for each cloud are. Three to 600 pages each um, and often they'll cover off things that you have no interest in or your current employer or current contract whatever doesn't cover so you don't pay too much attention to them but what the trailhead modules do for each version is they cover off the highlights what's the you know the the, the headline changes in this version new features that you might want to take advantage of new capabilities or maybe new limitations feature retirements whatever yeah. they all they get covered in there and it helps to keep you really really current and then if you've maintained your certifications over a, a number of years, you are demonstrating to a potential recruiter or employer that you are committed to this ecosystem and you are committed to investing in yourself because, of course, you know you can't expect others to continually invest
0: in you if you
1: aren't investing in yourself.
0: Yeah, brilliant. Do you know what I didn't know? I, I genuinely thought you still have to pay for it, uh, all of this stuff. I know trailheads are free, but I um, I remember back in the day when an ADN 201 was you know a good couple of grand. Um, so, so it's, it's not... You said about $80 or $100. Is that is that the cost now just for, to get this? Well, for, for a certified administrator,
1: I mean, don't quote me. Um, I think it's $100 to do the exam. Um, they, they do get pricey as you go up for the initial exam. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've done a few a little while ago that were about $400 each. And I know if you it's are. Not bad, though, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's only when you get up to the full um, technical architect level, um, of which there are handfuls. So, you know, most people don't. And it's extremely challenging to get even close. Mm. Um, But I think they're a couple of thousand dollars because they're in-person and all this sort of stuff. But um, by far, the bulk of them are are very low cost. And that's only for the initial exam as well. So it used to be that you had to pay an annual fee to maintain your certification um, because you had to then do two, three uh, maintenance exams a year, whatever. Um, Now, if I remember rightly uh, they're all on Trowhead, I think, or certainly the majority are on Trowhead. I haven't had any that haven't been recently. So when you do your uh, maintenance exams now, you are not paying that annual fee anymore.
0: Fantastic. So if, I mean, so if someone's really looking to get into it, there's not, there's not really any excuse in terms of, like you said, the, the amount of um, stuff that's available for them on Trowhead. Um, I guess then the other side the, the other side to it is trying to get that first bit of experience because it's, it's different now i think to people that want to get into salesforce versus someone like yourself perhaps that you had that opportunity because you were working somewhere and they were going to they were going to get salesforce um do you have any tips i'm going off uh, off script again here but would you have any tips for how someone could get that experience having maybe done some trailheads and got got an adm 201 um i think um if you're in a role
1: uh, or or if you're not in a role at all so, so if you're in a role where it's not, not used, they, they aren't using Salesforce, obviously you're going to get um, challenges if you want to get experience mm. of doing that. Uh, if, if you're between roles or if you're maybe a school leaver, a college leaver, you know, whatever, and you're looking for your first role, again, quite challenging. Um, there are uh, There are limited options available to you um, you know, there are apprenticeships and things that Source run. I don't know the details of those, but, uh, you know, they, they do run these apprenticeship schemes for, I think for university leavers uh, where they will help you get all of that and then get you into your first post, et cetera. But I think there, there's obviously you can't have thousands and thousands of people going through those. I think it's, you know, uh, handfuls or hundreds, certainly. Yeah. Um, so I think in some regards, if you if you cannot get yourself into an, you know, if you can't find anywhere to do volunteering, for example, there there are, Lots of segments in the not-for-profit area um, where the um, uh, where Salesforce is used, yeah. uh, and so they may be interested in. You know, if you want to go along and help out, that might be. But again, you know, that you can't have uh, you know thousands of people all doing that. So what I would suggest is that you create your own um, create your own environment. So as well as Trowhead, which gives you uh, Trowhead orgs, you can go along and sign up for a developer edition account. Um, this is completely free. You just go to, I think it's developer.salesforce.com and sign up with your Gmail address or whatever. That gives you a complete, I think it's Enterprise Edition of Salesforce. Mm. Uh, As long as you're not using it for production stuff, you can go in there and do what you want with it. So this is the same version of Salesforce that, you know, huge multinational companies use. Um, I don't think there are any real limitations. I mean, there's limitations on the amount of physical data you can put in it, but generally speaking, it's all there. So you can go in there and start giving yourself jobs to do. So Trowhead is absolutely fantastic because if you follow through some of the trials and if you get up to the level of doing some of the super badges, they set you projects and they do not walk you through it step by step. They give you an end goal and ask you to get there. And some of them are genuinely quite challenging. Plenty of them are you know, relatively simple once you're on the way up to that level. Um, but it's a great way of learning about it. Uh, and then get yourself a developer edition org, and then just get in there and start doing stuff. Thinking about, you know, if I were implementing this at a fictional company or at my current company, um, how would I go about doing it? And you can sit there and you know build it out and get exposure to it. And obviously, you're going to have to accept when you go for your first Salesforce role, you are looking for a junior admin role. Um, yeah. you know, there are companies that will will take people on. You you don't need a huge amount of experience to get certified administrator without wishing to sort of sound too derisory. Um, if you do all of the chow head modules and have a little bit of a play about in a developer edition org, you can get your certified administrator badge that then immediately puts you ahead of the curve in terms of other people. Uh, maybe if you, if there's a hundred people and only 10 of them have that certified administrator, I'm speaking to those 10 first. Yeah. Uh, and that's the same for most recruit, uh, you know, recruiting managers. So, um, Yes, it's hard, but you know, well, find find a way to do it yourself basically and then and then see if you can get that first entry job. Speak to, you know, find a good recruiter. Um is always a good thing. Don't scatter gun. Don't speak to fifty different recruiters and hope that they'll get your CV out far and wide. That doesn't work. Um I mean obviously I'm gonna suggest speaking to resource on demand. Um not <laughs> just because we are talking. Yeah. Um, but because, you know, I think that's a good approach. But um yeah, I, I think um, go along to user groups as well if you can. If, if you're mm-hmm. able to get into some of them, they're, off, they're obviously very busy sometimes, but if you can get into some user groups, go to those as well, because you will hear experiences about how other people have done things. Join in the communities as well. I realize I'm sort of scattergunning loads and loads of things to do here, but um, there's a whole bunch of community stuff that I mentioned earlier on. Sign up for your Developer Edition, or you'll get access to all of those for free. Join into the groups that you think might interest you. Um, You'll find a lot of people super, super helpful, more than happy to help people out. Yeah. Um, you know, failing that, sort of, you know, reach out to people on LinkedIn. Um, I know that's not quite as easy, particularly if you are maybe just a school leaver and you're trying to find people on LinkedIn to reach out to. But if you look on LinkedIn, there are ways to find um, people that are open to, to these sorts of discussions. See if you can tap some people up and ask for advice. You may find that that leads to something.
0: Yeah, especially um, in my experience as well, if, if, if you want to reach out to people that work at Salesforce, if you reach out to enough people, that they would point you in the direction of uh, you know customers of theirs that, that might give you a chance as an apprentice or something like that. But uh, also, with what you said, I think, which is uh, a really good um, tip, is, is that whatever it is that you create on that free version of, uh, of Salesforce, get it on your CV because it's um, It's what people are going to to want to see. If they're looking at this, like, say, School Leaver CV, and it doesn't say anything about Salesforce, it might says a couple of trailheads, and maybe it says ADM 201, but nothing else. You want to put in there the project you've done um, and what you've created somewhere quite high on your CV because that's going to jump out of people. Um, That's a really good tip. I I still didn't realise you can get that free edition. I know you could get it years ago, but um, I forgot about that. Yeah,
1: absolutely. It's one of the fantastic things that that Southwars does to help the the, the people out in the community. I've not seen many orgs take it to the level that salesforce have. I mean, obviously, it's self-interest that drives it, of course. But yeah. at the end of the day, it's a shared interest, uh, which is really good. I mean, I think if, if I were – I mean, if you look at my CV now, I don't put any reference in there to trailhead modules or anything like that. I do have a public trailhead profile, and you can go in there and see how many points I've got, how many badges I've got, see how many ranges I've clicked round through, um, and see which super badges I've done and all that sort of good stuff. Uh, and it, it's a fair amount because I've been doing it for a while. Mm. Um, but I think if, if you are just starting out, you you need to promote what you have got. So for me, I have, I've got, um, you know, certifications and experiences and other, other things that I can put on my CV that are more relevant for the roles that I uh, would be interested in in this point in my career. But if I didn't have any of that, I would put onto my CV what I, what I do have. So if I have a whole bunch of super badges you know i wouldn't necessarily stick the stick it on the front of page one maybe but sort of fairly near that the top there i would mention it in in you know you put like your uh you know certifications and accreditation section i don't know if people still do that on cvs it might be old-fashioned yeah. um but somewhere put the fact that you've got certified administrator if you have put that quite prominently mm. but then also put in there a link to your trailhead you know just say if you've done a bunch of super badges some of them are really difficult and i know you know a lot of people that have struggled with those that have been working with Salesforce for years. So if you've gotten through some of them, um, that's something that's worth mentioning because it, it it does mean something, and people will understand what it means if they're in this uh,
0: industry. Yeah, brilliant. I appreciate we're spending more time talking about how to help others than your career, but um, but it's, it's been been very helpful so far. So what would you going back to you for a bit? Then um, I'm trying to remember where you've been and what you've done. But have you have you done uh, You've worked for obviously uh, Salesforce customers. Have you have you worked on the partner side before? I can't remember.
1: Um, not not a huge amount. No, no. I mean, I, I wonder whether this is something I'll do in the future. I don't really know. Um, but uh, other than how I work now, um, most of my experience with Salesforce has been um, as an end user, mm. uh, and, and traditionally that's where I've just felt most comfortable. Um, I think if you if you think about the desire to help businesses transform, um, if you base yourself in an end user, you can really make a huge impact on that one user. If you base yourself uh, at a consultancy, maybe with, you know, with a consultant partner or ISV, or whatever, you can potentially have a, have a huge impact on multiple businesses. So it, maybe that's something to to ponder longer term, but. Most of my career to date has been with with end users. Um, I've I've worked with some fantastic um, consulting partners over the years. Mm. Um, But, yeah, I mean, it's quite fun to be there, to be uh, responsible and accountable for for delivering, you know, huge step changes to businesses using tools like Salesforce.
0: I can imagine as well it's um, something that i don 't know myself, obviously, but having spoken to people when, when you 're at the end user, you tend to get to see it from beginning to you know not the end as much but the, the, the business as usual side of it, um, which could be quite um, fulfilling, I would imagine, rather than perhaps being a partner where you might just jump in and out, not really see the beginning or the end um, of, of different projects i don 't know whether that's something you you would agree with, but that 's the impression I get sometimes.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think I would – I like that aspect. When I think back to my days uh, working for a Danaher company, they they had something that they called the the Danaher business system, which is sort of – if you think Six Sigma, you're not a million miles, away, put it that way. Hmm. Um, So we would go and do um, Kaizen events. So we would go and spend maybe a week focused on a particular department, and we would do all the analysis. And then you you get to the end of the week, and and the, the theory is you've implemented your change. Or, or certainly hopefully you've implemented it Maybe a few little bits that you take away But generally speaking the idea is you spend that week Laser focused on improving something um, You get to the end of that week And you appreciate that this isn't your department This is not maybe not even um, your business unit So this could be another Sort of another down her company in another country You could yeah. be anywhere in the world um, Helping them implement some process change um, When you get to the end of that process uh, You are partly responsible. So a process owner comes in at that point as well, of course. But you are also, as the person who oversaw the change, held accountable and, and responsible for, for maintaining that improvement. So obviously everything, you're you measuring everything. So you are saying, we've reduced waste by, or something like that, by 20%. Uh, you have to continually monitor that to prove that you've sustained your 20% reduction. Because if it starts creeping back up, because the moment everyone stops focusing on it, it all starts to go back to the old way that's obviously, you know, you've wasted all your time doing it. You've identified yeah. a better way, started to do it, and then just let it lapse. That's, that's just pointless. So what we would do is we would literally, you know, for I think it was for three months or something, quite some period, you, you would be on those calls every week looking at the numbers, and if it started to slip back, you would go back and help them get it back on track. Um, and that's certainly something you get far more of with, with an end user because you are there and quite likely you are responsible. It's your job to make sure that you get these changes implemented uh, and that you get these um, improvements and you make them stick, you sustain them because if you let them slip, you know, you've wasted everyone's time. Um, and certainly what you'll find is that the consulting partners, um, not necessarily for any fault of their own, of course, if, if you're paying you know, a healthy amount per day for, for a consulting partner to come in and help you out, once they've physically implemented something, how much time do you want to pay them to help you sustain it? Probably not a huge amount because yeah. by this point, typically, you know, you've gone over budget and everything, and you're thinking, "Right, well, we need to rein this in now." Um, but yeah, so it, it is a slightly different, uh, you know, a slightly different perspective in that, you know, as a consulting partner, you can you come in at a set point, you you get done what you've been asked to get done, you invoice for it, and then you know you you have an interest in making sure that they are happy and that the change is sustained. But there's only so much you can do free of charge, as it were, you know. Yeah. So um, you do tend maybe to move on to the next project, and just through sheer busyness, don't have time to go back, you know, and, and continue to check on old projects and things, you know. So,
0: is that yeah, where it, that would that be where Salesforce's customer success, you know, team comes in? You know? I you know, appreciate that's probably an obvious yeah. question, but um, so what, once the, once your your, your SI has, has done the implementation and it, it's goodbye from them, does does that does Salesforce do, do keep in touch with? end-user and say you know how's it going and are they the ones that are pushing that um that retention and making sure that, that you know the, the change is is, is sticking
1: um, to some extent maybe not not really in the same way I, I wouldn't have thought personally um, the customer success team um, particularly if you're in into the enterprise um, zones where to be fair most of my experience is um, you will have a success team. So you'll have an account exec and your account exec will spearhead um, potentially quite a large team. I mean, I've, I've known teams that have been up into, you know, the 10, 12 people mm. um, all assigned to an account. Now, you wouldn't see them all particularly frequently. So, but what you will commonly see is that you will have an account exec um, and you'll have a solutions engineer that you'll see when you start talking about changes and, and things like this. Salesforce really are quite good in helping you to understand the potential. So they do workshops that they'll call. I think they're called Spark and Ignite, two different sorts of levels. Mm. Um, and they'll come in and they'll do sort of walk-the-floor exercises with you. So they'll walk around with some of their analysts and they'll um, talk to your staff and they'll they'll look at what you're doing. And, of course, I mean, it's obviously not fully independent, but it is fairly independent because, you know, it's not your consulting partner and it's not you. So they'll just go around and ask questions. And quite often what they'll pick up on is little bits and pieces that maybe you were just glazing over because, you know, you can't see the wood for the trees to some extent, maybe. Yeah. And they'll come back with a written report that says, have you considered doing this, this, and this? And half of it, you think, yes, I have considered. Um, you know, it's on the roadmap. And the other half, you might look at and think, actually, yeah, um, maybe some, there's something in there. So they have a success team that's there maybe to help guide you um, if you think more about it at the strategic level. So So when you're thinking... How can Salesforce help our business grow and evolve and respond to market changes? How can we um, get more value from from the investment we make? You know, if if you're just running your sales teams on it, I dare say you've got a super efficient sales team if you've been doing it a while and you've really you know gotten into it. Is your marketing team really well aligned though? You know, if they're off using HubSpot, HubSpot or whatever else, you know, yeah. how well integrated is it? Could could there could those two teams be better aligned? Um, Because if you can get, particularly sales and marketing, they're the two teams where if you can get them really well aligned, if you can get Pardot or Marketing Cloud in there, I mean the the uptick in um, efficiency is is unbelievable. Um, And I've seen this firsthand, it's quite phenomenal what you can achieve when you get those teams really well aligned and pulling in the exact same direction. But the same is true maybe of operations and finance, etc are there opportunities to expand? Um, and obviously when you think about it from Salesforce, Salesforce's point of view, they're thinking, you know, can we sell you more licenses? Can we sell you additional clouds, et cetera? Yeah. But the reality of it is, I mean, I've, I've never seen Salesforce do a hard sell. Everything that's recommended or, or suggested is is done with a, a mutual success in mind. There's no point whatsoever in this success team saying, why don't you consider this? If they know it's not really for you, they won't suggest it at all. No, no. Um, so the success team is very much there. They can they can really be a strong partner for you if you manage them well. If you um, just speak to your account exec at renewal time, um, ignoring all the you know the reach outs in between, which no doubt you'll get, you, you're not you know leveraging that that value. So Salesforce has a whole bunch of resource available to you, particularly if you've got you know a Premier Success Plan, when you can start mm-hmm. using the accelerators. There's, there's an awful lot available to you effectively for, you know, for no cost as such. And obviously someone's, someone's paying, but you're not shelling out money, you're not raising invoices to get a resource on site. Uh, and the resource is pretty much you know top-notch as well. You're getting some really, really smart people um, to help you out. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I think everybody that's got, particularly if you've got Premier Success and you've got a relationship with your account exec should be leveraging that. And don't be afraid to ask, what can you do for us? Um, And if you're not leveraging that, then reach out to them. If you don't even know who they are, um, if you go into um, – I can't quite remember. There's a a part in Salesforce, the the checkout part. If you go into where it says manage checkout or something like that, it will show who your contact is, drop them an email. They'll get straight in touch with you and you can start a discussion from there because they'll be more than happy to come along and help you out.
0: (laughs) Full of tips today that I didn't know, but then that doesn't, that doesn't necessarily mean anything. Um, what, what, one of the things I was going to ask you, which I, I, um, we touched upon it. Uh, I think at the beginning of this, we may not actually, but uh, you've done a mixture of being a permanent employee, being a permanent recruiter of people and also being a contractor and recruiting contractors. Am I right? Have you done all of those things?
1: Yes. Yes. I've, I've had a, I've had a good bash at all of those. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so what's, um, what's it, feel, what's the difference? Of, what does it feel like being a contractor versus being a, you know, a full-time permanent person? And uh, what's your view on how that's going in terms of everything to do with I 35 coming up, um, and people that might be worrying about that.
1: Oh, you're hitting a real hot topic there. I think. I you?
0: Sorry, mate. And we're an hour in. Sorry about that. But yeah. Yeah. That's, that's,
1: fine. <laughs> that's fine. Um, yeah, that's, 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 a really interesting one. And I think that's another one that's really personal to an individual, Um, And I think um, I think it changes. So I've worked with an awful lot of contractors over the years as well I've been a contractor for for a good few years to be fair my my contracting experience um, Is not a million miles off my perm experience. Um, So I've not done a whole bunch of short contracts So I've not contract hopped Um, generally speaking. I've I've contracted for a while uh, And then then found myself in, in a in an organization that I enjoyed working with and uh who enjoyed me working with them and so you end up staying there for you know a year or two years or something like that and then more than once i've switched into um into a perm role from that yeah so i I guess my contracting experience is slightly different i've worked with lots of contractors who do it in the more traditional sense you know they'll want to talk three six eight twelve months whatever um uh, and then they're quite happy just to keep moving around and it suits their lifestyle at the time. Yeah. Um, I, I, For me personally, I think it's a young person's game. Um, I, As I get older and my mortgage gets bigger and, and mm. the kids get more demanding, I start to think, do I really want um, to be messing about doing this? Do I, do I want to be going to a, a different site every few months? Um, do I want to have to keep messing about with accountants and, and figuring out the most efficient way of paying myself? Um, do I want to take the risk that I'll get a contract to really not like it um, or that I'll really like it and then have to leave because the project ends? You know, it's, uh, I think um, at the start of people's careers, it's probably more um, something uh, that aligns better with, with, with that, maybe for younger people. I'm, I know plenty of contractors who are my age or older, you know, really old, really old duffers <laughs> who love contracting still uh, and who really enjoy that side of the lifestyle you know i've got i can think of at least one person who is constantly traveling the world contracting in different sorts of areas and things and absolutely loves it um and whilst i he's spoken to me about having a retirement plan and that's that's some way off and as far as he's concerned he's going to contract right up until that point when um, he goes and buys his pub and retires to it oh nice um, yeah but uh yeah i i think uh I think there are there are strengths and weaknesses from from all of those things, and I, and I certainly think um, being a contractor, particularly now, is is nowhere near as advantageous as it used to be. So previously, you could pay yourself pretty much just you know minimum wage, what was it like yeah. six or seven hundred pounds a a month to make sure that your national insurance ticked over. The rest you could pay as dividends. Yeah, great, eleven percent tax, fantastic. Um, yeah, now it's thirty two and a half percent. If I'm if I'm thinking right. Um, and as you've said, the spectre of IR35 comes into play. If the tax taxman looks uh, at, at you uh, as a contractor and you're working in a sort of mid-sized organisation upwards, as lots of contractors are, of course, if they think you're an employee, you are now liable for, you know, between years. I don't know the legal specifics. I just know that uh, there, are, there are massive tax liabilities in there and potential fines. If, if you've done it on purpose, you get fined as well <coughs> as having yeah. to pay the back tax. If it's genuinely you know, a, a misunderstanding you've inadvertently uh, paid yourself in dividends, they'll just declare those as illegal dividends effectively and it sounds harsh, but what it really means is you have to pay a whole bunch of extra tax. Um, so I, I think there are lots of people at the moment are either ignoring that and hoping that they'll get away with it. I, I know some people doing that. Yeah. Um, and there are also lots of people, lots of organisations certainly in the larger size that have made a, a blanket assessment uh, and have just said everything's in IR35 now. And if I'm remembering this correctly, what this basically means is they're expecting everybody to to, to basically come onto the books and, and pay um, pay uh, employee-level uh, tax and everything else. So you're paying 40% tax plus your national insurance, plus everything else. But the, the real rub is that you are still a contractor, so you don't get um, health benefits. So if you're off sick you aren't paid and you don't get healthcare Um, you don't get paid holidays you don't get pension contributions you don't get uh, employee recognition schemes you don't get bonuses you know so what they're asking you to do is pay all of the same tax as an employee but don't get any of the same benefits and quite a lot of companies are saying well it's the same day rate and so quite a lot of contractors are saying no it's not you've got to pay me an extra 100 200 whatever a day to compensate me for all this tax I'm now paying, so it, it's certainly an interesting piece. I think we'll, we, I don't know whether we'll see changes in the budget coming up. it will be interesting to see how the government responds to that because there's been a lot of criticism of this approach. Um, but for me personally, it doesn't affect me because I tend to work with multiple customers at the same same time and have lots of things on the go. So I, you know, I, I don't look like an employee for any yeah. organisation I work with. But if if you've been working for a, you know, argument take a bank or something for you know a year or more it's difficult for you to say you're you're not employee like if they've given you a laptop and you've got a phone number there um and you effectively represent them that's a really hard sell to convince them that you're not an employee so i think it's definitely worth as a contractor getting proper advice um proper legal advice looking at your your exact situation your exact contracts understanding um are you likely to get in any trouble with that? So even if the employer is saying, oh, no, no, we've checked it, it's fine, d- double check it yourself personally because it's you that's going to get it in the neck if things go wrong.
0: Yeah, yeah, very good tip. And um, I, um, I'm well aware that we kept you for nearly, an yeah, just over an hour now. So um, I'll just, let's get to the, 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 the fun thing about the future then and what you're excited about for, for, for you and for the Salesforce world as a whole. Is there something that... Particularly excites you in the next uh, few years. Um,
1: that, that's an interesting one. <laughs> um, th- there's there's a lot of change going at the moment. Salesforce has has transformed itself from the plucky upstart, the little underdog, um, into the behemoth that it used to mock. Yeah, um, which which is interesting in its own right, but. Um, there's a there's a few areas that are high growth, I think, and you know, this is partly based on what people are telling me and partly based on what Salesforce is telling me and partly what I'm seeing myself. Um, the two big growth areas I would see, actually probably three growth areas thinking about it now. Um, uh, CPQ, I think, is a big thing. Um, I think as CPQs, which historically have been um, big, big projects, I remember implementing what was big machines, which is now Oracle. Um, many, many years ago, it it was phenomenally complicated and and still is because it's a hugely powerful, complex product. Um, The ability to take something like Salesforce CPQ, which is far simpler to to work with, Mm. um, and implement that without needing millions of dollars to invest in a a huge, huge program of works, I think that will be game-changing for some companies. You know, smaller, you know, there's there's a big upsurge in the number of telcos, for example, when the market, was the regulation changed, lots and lots of small telcos, doing some great great work um uh, and lots of those companies could really really do with a cpq tool um but historically they've been out of their reach for financial reasons you look mm-hmm. at the commercials around them they're not they're not uh, they're not cheap yeah. um i think what we'll see is cpq um, becoming more available um to smaller businesses and i think that's going to be phenomenal i think that's a huge huge um, benefit to lots of people i think we'll also see um marketing automation surging. Okay. So Southworth in particular are quite keen to push Pardock quite a bit. They think they've got a really good, solid product there, aimed quite nicely at B2B organizations and, and maybe some of the smaller ones more so as well. Um and um personally I agree with them. Um I, th- I think marketing automation in general is a big thing that's coming up Um, not just part of it, with marketing cloud as well, which is a like hundred times bigger and more complex, but also a hundred times more, more capable in certain scenarios and more consumer oriented perhaps. Um, but the, it's not just about the clever, you know, get into a marketing team, get them sending clever emails and linking it back to your social posts and all that, all that very, very clever, slightly spooky stuff that you can do these days. Yeah. Um, it's about, what I mentioned earlier, the alignment between sales and marketing. So if you've got your sales teams on sales cloud, if you've got your service teams on, on service cloud, and if you've got marketing cloud or Pardot in there as well, that combination in there, um, all being on the same platform, because, of course, you know, some people seem to think that the different clouds are physically separate. Of course, they're not. They're all on one. You know, It's all one big thing. Um, and so you've got all of these users all working on the same platform with the same data, um and the possibilities there are are incredible and so getting people into that that mindset about not just clever triggered emails and things in social posts but linking them back to actionable data for the sales teams and for the service teams etc is is a huge big thing and i think that's going to be massive in the coming year or two Uh, and then the final one that cropped into my head there is around analytics i think um uh, the acquisition of Tableau was was kind of interesting, and, and a few people raised an eyebrow, thinking, "Well, how does this fit with um, Salesforce Einstein Analytics?" And they are slightly different products. Mm. Um, they do have different use cases, and they can actually sit in parallel quite nicely. In, in it if you've got a probably a very big organization, um, but yes, yeah, certainly um, analytics and the augmented intelligence piece, the AI Einstein stuff that goes with it, I think is going to be a really big piece for this year. So. If you're in the middle of your Salesforce career and thinking, what should I focus on next? I would say either analytics, marketing, or um, CPQ, and I think you'll do well there. Um, if we just just out of interest, if we just flip that around and think of one thing that's uh, I'm potentially not looking forward to, you've probably seen in the press as well at the moment, lots of speculation about big purchases coming. And there's a lot of talk about either Microsoft or um, Google Maybe buying Salesforce. Um, <clears throat> this is an interesting one. It's almost quite a hot topic, hot topic when you see mm. it coming up on on LinkedIn. Lots of uh, diverse opinions on there, which is nice to see. Um, personally, I'm not a fan of uh, either of those two. I think it would um, change the platform, not necessarily for the better, but that would certainly be an interesting uh, development if one of those companies did manage to purchase Salesforce, seeing how that would evolve and seeing how that would impact the user community uh would, would certainly be worth keeping an eye on.
0: Yes, that's um, that that's been a little whisper for years, isn't it? I've always sort of hoped as well that that's that's not that, that doesn't happen, but I guess I suppose we'll have to keep our eye on that. Um is it would there be any other anything else you want to mention? I, again I appreciate I've kept you longer than I had I thought I would. Um but is there uh, anything else you'd like to say or, or perhaps uh, let people know where they can find you should they wish to I've been appreciate you're on LinkedIn. It's quite quite easy to find you on there. But is there any other ways of getting hold of you if people wanted to?
1: Yeah, probably the simplest way is, is via LinkedIn. That's that's an uh, an omnipresent thing for for a lot of us, and no matter where we are and things, uh, everyone keeps their LinkedIn presence up to date um, often anyway. So, yeah, if anybody wants to get a hold of me, they're, they're very welcome to do so uh, through through LinkedIn. Um, you know, if they want want a bit of advice or I uh, want to talk about anything else, absolutely more than happy to uh, to to do that through LinkedIn. Sure.
0: So you're not one of those um, salesforce people with 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 more messages in your LinkedIn inbox than you can handle. Then at the moment,
1: no, and I think it's um, I, I think it's a, it's an interesting time to be a part of the the ecosystem. I mean, if, if we think back to um, it was just a couple of years ago when there was a whole round of acquisitions where there were the big uh, the big consultancies started buying up a whole bunch of middle sized consultancies, yeah. uh, and then the smaller consultancies sort of grew to fill to fill that gap. And then I think that gave a whole bunch of people great ideas about starting consultancies, and then thinking, well, I can just run a consultancy for a year or two, and then somebody, you know, Southforce or themselves or, or somebody else will come along and buy me up, and then I can go and retire to the Bahamas. Yeah. Uh, obviously, that's uh, <laughs> that's that's not going to happen, folks. There, there's an interesting you know, clip for you. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, there's a, there's a huge raft of, of people. And as I said earlier, the, you know, the, the Salesforce ecosystem and community is absolutely huge and it's really welcoming and uh, really a good place to be to engage. So there's an awful lot of people out there that you can you can get in contact with and you can talk to uh, either directly or just through general chat on, on some of the forums, etc. Um but uh, yeah always keen to talk to people about South Horse, as you can probably tell by the fact I've waffled on for <laughs> well
0: uh, yes well I was going to say we could probably do more of this um, which is kind of what I, I do say to people all the time but perhaps we can uh, have a follow up one day in the future but um, Adam thank, thanks very much for your time mate. it's been brilliant um, and uh, no doubt we will all follow your career with interest uh, so thanks very much that oh, it's been my pleasure thank you cheers mate so once again, my thanks to Adam Weeks there for a very thorough interview and uh, loads of topics there for you guys to, to pick apart and uh, loads of great tips as well. Um, and I will share as many links as I can related to what Adam was talking about about uh, the trailheads and the free developer editions and things like that. Um, once again, apologize for my uh, nasalness, but um, hopefully I didn't spoil it for you. Um, and thanks again to Adam, who was, a, am sure a agree, a brilliant guest. Thanks a lot, guys.